so excited that we're learning together. This has been really a long time in coming and I didn't teach in the summer and it's really great to be back. And as I was preparing, I was like, oh, listen to this Parsha, this is amazing. Okay, there's a lot of stuff in the Parsha that's kind of not super amazing. Um, we're gonna briefly touch on it. So this is the format of how I do the class. We're gonna try to run through the Chumash, through the whole Parsha, not the whole Chumash, just the Parsha. And then we try to like highlight a couple of things to say, how does this speak to me? And what does this mean to me? And blah, blah, blah. Okay, so we are currently, it's Parsha's key Tavo. When you will come to land, how amazing is that? that the first Parsha that we're learning to together is the Parsha of coming into the land. And we're just first doing this together. Very, very exciting. Um, but before we start the actual Parsha, a little bit of background. I want to tell, where are we? What's going on? What's happening? So I saw Gila left this up. So this is really very helpful because do you ever see, you know, you go to the mall and you can't find a place. So you find the thing that says you are here. Okay, we are here. We're like at the end of Chomish Devar. We're, we're like totally, we're five parshas before the Chomish is going to end. The whole Torah is going to end. It's going to happen on Sukkot and we're going to switch it over. We're going to get to that afterwards. But we're like really right over here. And the question is from a bigger picture, where are we? Like, where are we? So Chomish Devar in total is a book that Moshe says to the Jewish people. He starts talking on Rosh Chodesh Shvat in the year 2488 of creation years. And he finishes when he passes away on the seventh of Adar in the same year. So this whole book was said over 37 days. Now we're towards the end of the book. I don't know exactly what day we are. I don't know how close we are to Moses. Moses's passing, that's quickly five times. How close are we to Moses's passing? What's happening? It's hard to tell exactly where we are, but we're really at the end of the book. We're really at the end of the book. And we're the Jewish people. They've been, it's the end of their 40 years in the desert. They're at the banks of the Jordan River. And they can see into the Holy Land. And Moshe can't come. And this is his last push to the people to say, you can do this. This is what you need to know. This is the information that you need to have. And he's like pouring his heart and soul into the people. Last chance. This is it. This is the last chance. And, you know, how many of you have been to the Dead Sea? Right? Like on a clear day, you can see it to Jordan. Right? From some parts of Jerusalem, you can see it to Jordan. It's, it's so close. If you had binoculars, you could touch it. Okay, you didn't have binoculars. But, you know what I mean? It's so, so, so close. Moshe's work so hard. What? I said I saw it. You can see it. Yeah. You can see it. It's like, it's so close. Moshe would love more than anybody to come to the Holy Land. Mamash, more than anybody. Not just because, oh, we have great ice cream and, you know, cute people. No, no, no. Like, he understands that Eretz Yisrael is holy. It's a special land. It's a holy land. And he, more than anybody, would appreciate that. And guess what? He didn't make it. And we're here. And isn't that something kind of like a mind game, but like really awesome that we are here and we are able to be part of the, be part of the Israel Jewish story here for the time that we're going to be here. I, as I was preparing, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is our first portion together. I'm so excited. So there, that's, I'm going to try to contain myself. It's going to be, yeah, it's going to be fun. Now there's, okay. So what I want to do is I wanted to look at the Parsha as a whole, as a whole, and then we're going to go into something, some specific parts of the Parsha. So if you have a Chumash in front of you, 
Chomish Devarim. It's Parshas Kitavo. It starts at chapter 26. It happens to start at verse one. It doesn't always. It doesn't always start at the beginning because chapters and verses are not Jewish in origin. This time it happens to start at the beginning. Grab any Chomish that you find. That big fat blue one is good. You just have to find and you could have it. It's been, it has no English though. Okay. And our Parsha is going to start off Last week's Torah portion had mitzvahs out of the wazoo. There were mitzvahs, mitzvahs, mitzvahs going on all over the place. That was the last week's Parsha. This week's Parsha, we're kind of coming to the end. The last two mitzvahs that we have are going to be in Parsha's Vayelech, which is not next week, but the week after. Um, and this week, so we're at like we're finishing up the ends of the mitzvahs, like 612 and 613. We don't have, that's going to come later. We have very few mitzvahs. Now we also don't have very many practical mitzvahs in this parsha. We'll get to that. We'll try to figure out how to make it applicable. So what happens? Who's going to start reading for us? When we come to the land, with English, who's going to start reading for us? Go for it. it, will, it will, so we're starting from chapter 26, verse 1. It will be when you enter the land that Hashem your God gives you as an inheritance, and you possess it, and you dwell in it, that you shall take the curse of every fruit of the ground that you bring in from your land, that Hashem your God gives you, and you shall put it in a basket, and go to the place that Hashem your God will choose to make his name rest there. I'm going to pause you for a second. In the Hebrew, it says, You should take... Sorry. Okay. So, um, what was I saying? Uh, this is because so this is the first fruits. So, so um, Israel originally coming into the land of Israel, it was an agricultural society, which you have to imagine was a super shock for the people. They're coming slaves in Egypt, building whatever they were building over there. Forty years in the desert, 
like learning Torah, basking in the glory of God, eating mana, not doing laundry or having to make decisions about what am I going to wear today? Like, and then all of a sudden, boom, farmers, government, police. It's got to be a stressful situation over there. It's got to be stressful. So what happened was, so they would, so the mission of the scribes, we're going to, I'm going to let you keep reading in a second, but I want to pause you. When the people had their first fruits and they had of the seven fruits of Israel, like we said, and they would come from all over the country and they would have a whole procession and they would come with their fruit. Now, in a day with no refrigeration, they only got to bring these, the first fruits once a year. Anytime from Shavuot up until Hanukkah, they could bring their first fruits. If they brought their fruits from Shavuot until Sukkot, which is about a five month period, then they, there's also a declaration, which we're going to read soon. And they were able to say this declaration. If they brought it afterwards, they would bring the fruits, but they wouldn't say the declaration. But there was the mission of the scribes, this amazing procession of people. They would come, they would come with birds tied to their baskets. I guess that's like the helium balloons of once upon a time, right? And they would come with trumpets and they would come with oxen with golden horns and they would go slowly and they never moved a lot in a day. They never moved two thirds of their journey anytime so that people could hear it and have time to join the procession. And by the time they got closer to Jerusalem, the people from Jerusalem would come out to meet them and the king and the high priest, they would all come out to meet them and say, welcome travelers who are bringing your first fruit. Now, remember, if we're only doing this, you can only do this once a year. So the people who are coming, right, Miss, Mrs. Joe Farmer in the South, who's only going to come, her grape, their, our grapes are ripened, we're not going for a while to the temple. So they also then have to dry them out and bring them as grapes. All of this stuff has to be brought to the temple. You could not, there are other, we're going to talk about trims and Meisters, there are other things that you could transfer. You could like cash it out and you use the money and we're going to talk about that. But this fruit actually had to come to the temple. So if it was fresh fruit that was not going to last, you had to preserve it. You had to dry it out. You had to like figure out what to do with all that stuff. And, and it was like such an amazing, amazing simple. And the mission as the whole, Gordon talks about what happened and how they got people coming. And it's an interesting thing because we're going to, uh, Adina Yonit is going to read for us, is going to read the declaration for us that they said. And then it actually became a point where people stopped coming because they were nervous. They had like these five or six verses that they had to read out loud and not everybody was so literate. And so they didn't want to come because they didn't, they were afraid to have to, how many of us are afraid of public speaking, right? They were afraid to have to read this declaration in public. And so then at that point, the rabbis instituted that you could have a Torah reader or, or somebody come and do the reading for you. And then later on, here's a random bit of information. When we started reading the Torah, every single person who got called up to the Torah actually read their part. Mm -hmm. So if you got called up for the first Aliyah, you had to read the first Aliyah. And if you got called up for the second Aliyah, you had to like bang it out over there in public. I was like, oh my God, that's special, right? And so obviously other people also thought that at a certain point, people didn't want to get called up to the Torah because they were nervous. And that's when they said, wait a second, if for Bikurim, we could get somebody to read it for you, then for reading the Torah, we could get somebody to read it for you. And now most people that we know, when they get, a, get called to the Torah, they make a bracha before and then bracha afterwards, and they don't actually do the reading. And that's coming from Bikurim. Mm -hmm. Kind of random segue, but I thought it was interesting. Okay, Odina and Eve, keep reading. So they're going to take these fruit, and they're going to either, they're going to take, they're going to have it in fresh or dried. And the mission actually says that if somebody has both dried and fresh, you kind of bury the dry stuff under the fresh fruit, and it should look pretty, and they should get, it should be... It should be a celebration. It should be like a, a, a massive celebration. Okay? This is every year? 
Once a year, every farmer had the opportunity to do this. Now, it doesn't say big farmers or little farmers. If you have a little plot of land, you could do this. For, you are you have a mitzvah to do this from your from your your produce. So what? But you can only do it once a year. And then yeah. you have a tree in your yard. Does that make you a little tiny? It makes me a very little tiny stale farmer. Stale farmer. <laughs> We had all these buds and they all, and, and that, you know, I was thinking like we had this tree, right? And like the first fruits came out, it like around pace of time, I was like, oh my gosh. And then they all oh, no. fell off. And I was like, could you imagine if that was my Bikurim? And I just, they just ended up on the floor. I was like, oh my God. Okay, good. So far, we don't have a temple. I don't have to bring it. I don't have to worry about it. But could you imagine? I, I guess they're a little bit better than I am at keeping okay. things alive. Right now we have three buds back on the tree. So when you come, you'll see it. Very pomegranate. Ooh, pomegranate. So Thank you. I feel much better. I feel much better. In general, I'm a failed green thing. People, plants just <laughs> usually drop dead when they walk into my house. They don't want to be tortured to death. They just, whatever. I, I will say, not relevant to any anything impartial, but I have one plant that I got as a gift and it is thriving. Oh. I'm so excited. I'll show it to you. It's really thriving. So maybe I'm not a total failed green person. I don't know. Okay. Keep reading. So they come and they bring it to the place. You notice in, in the Torah never calls Jerusalem by its name. It always says the place that God just, uh, puts it. What, how do you say? That he rests his name there. It doesn't say Jerusalem. We know now it's coming to Jerusalem, coming to the temple. And then what would happen? You shall come to whoever will be the Canaan in those days. And you shall say to him, I declare today Hashem, your God, that I have come to the land of Hashem swore to our forefathers to give us. The Kohen shall take the basket from your hands and lay it before the altar of Hashem in your back. Okay, pause a second. So the person would come, he say, he would say, um, I came today, right? And so Rashi says that I came now to the temple. And other, other people are like, came today? We've been, th this ceremony, the first, the first Jewish commonwealth in Israel lasted for over 800 years. What's this? I came today. I came to Israel today. We'll talk about that afterwards. Okay. And then the Kohen would take it. They would hold it together with the Kohen. And then you would wave the basket front and down in all the directions. And then the Kohen would take it, put it on his back. And then if you came in the proper time, you could say. Then you shall call out and say before Hashem your God, and our tried to destroy my forefathers. He descended to Egypt and sojourned there. Do you remember? And there he became a nation, great, strong, and numerous. The Egyptians mistreated us and afflicted us and placed hard work upon us. And we cried out to Hashem, the God of our forefathers, and Hashem heard our voice and sought our affliction, our travail, and our oppression. Hashem took us out of Egypt with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, with great awesomeness and with signs and with wonders. He brought us to a place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And pause, now. Pause a second, one second. Those few verses that Adina and just read, did they sound familiar to anybody? Pesach. Yeah. This is the text of the Haggadah. Whoa. We take these verses and then each one gets extrapolated. So you're like, oh my, this sounds familiar. Yeah. Yes, you are right. This is the Pesach Haggadah. The bulk of the Haggadah is the declaration that the people would make when they brought the first fruit. And then each long, like each four, four, four words, then the sages add all these other stuff in and then we have a lot of words in the Haggadah. But this is where it's starting from. Okay. And, and, and now behold, I have brought the first fruits of the grounds that you have given me, O Hashem, and shall lay it before Hashem your God, and you shall prostrate yourself before Hashem your God. You shall rejoice with all the goodness that Hashem your God has given you and your household, you and the Levite and the proselyte who is in your midst. Okay. And this is, this is, this, these, 
11 verses, this is the mitzvah of Bikurim, of being, bringing your first fruits to Hashem. And I was like, oh my gosh, we're starting to learn. And this is what we're talking about. So the parsha talking about, and it's so exciting. We're going to get back to Bikurim, but I do want to finish the parsha. The next thing that we have is in the second aliyah, it starts talking about when you finish to tithe all your, your things. Um, that's not a real word. It is a real word, but it doesn't make sense here. Um, then there is, a t- there is this thing. The next thing that we have here is called Vidui Meiser, the confession for the tithes. And what happens is, I'm going to just give you a second. Okay, Basically, the tithing, the way tithing works in an agricultural Israel temple-based society is that it works over six years. It's a repeated pattern over six years. One, two, three, four, five, six. This upcoming, then you have seven, which is a Shemitah year. Parenthetically, this upcoming year in Israel is a Shemitah year. I'm super excited. Everybody's like, is that fantastic? I'm like, no, I really, really love it. I've lived in Israel now for 28 years. Yeah, I, that's why I don't remember English. I don't know Hebrew. But, um, and I love Shemitah. And we'll talk about Shemitah after we talk about now. So the cycle of the Trumas and Nitrous goes over six years. It's sets of three. Basically, we have like this. The first thing that we need to give is a Truma. The Truma is 2% of your produce. It goes to the cone. Okay? The next thing you have to do is called Meiser Rishon. The first tie, and that goes, it's 10%, and it goes to the lady. Okay? Then there's something called Meiser Shady. Excuse my, my scribbles. Meiser Shady. Okay? Has another 10% that has to be eaten in Jerusalem. Does this make sense? You see what I'm saying? My chicken scratch. Okay? So like this. We take 2% of the going. We gave 10% to the lady. The lady of the 10% that he gets has to give 10% to the coin, but that's not on our, that's like not our issue. That's his issue. Okay? So the person, 2% goes to the coin, that's a true one. He gives 10%, which is Meister Risha, the first time, he gives that to the lady, and then he has Meister Shady. Meister Shady is 10% of his produce. It has to be eaten in Jerusalem. He doesn't actually have to bring the produce. Unlike before, where we actually have to bring those fruits, Meister Shady could be exchanged in the, the whole conversation how you exchange it, and take that money and use it in Jerusalem. That means everybody in Jerusalem knew that there were people coming every single year with disposable income. It had to be used in Jerusalem. So people don't care. Like when people were spending the money, they have to spend it in Jerusalem. Now, I'm a, like you said, I'm a little farmer. What if I'm a big farmer and 10% of my uh, 98, 88, so 10% of my 88% could be a lot of money. You're not allowed to use it on housing. You can only use it on food and drinks. It was party time. It had to be anybody. There, charge me whatever you want for the bottle of wine. It's the baba. I have to use this money here. I'm here. Party, who's coming? Everybody, come on. We're having a, we got to use the money. We got to use it in Jerusalem. So Jerusalem, parenthetically, which today I, I think has like these traces of like, there's this feeling like wherever you walk in Jerusalem, somebody's asking you for money. Somebody's asking you for stuff, all right? It's probably all over Jerusalem, but actually I live in Jerusalem. I feel it here. There's this place that people are coming to Jerusalem. We have to spend the money in Jerusalem, okay? So that's going to end up being whatever, depending on your farm, that's how much money it is. And you don't have to, again, you don't have to bring the produce. We have to bring the value of that produce to Jerusalem. So when people were coming, they weren't really haggling about prices and everybody was in a good mood and they had money. They had to spend it in Jerusalem. The point was 
to be bisimcha, to be happy, to be joyous, you and the people with you and the random people around you. And it was really party time in Jerusalem. Okay, year two, repeat. You do this. Okay, we have Truma, 2% of the clothing, my series 10% of the lady, my series 10% to be eaten in Jerusalem. Year three, we switch it up. We give 2% of the Kohen, 10% to the lady. My sushani is now called Meiser Ani. Okay, and 10% of your 10% of your produce has to be given to the poor. Okay, it does not have to take the Jerusalem, it has to be given to the poor. Now, at the end of three years is what we're coming to in our partnership. So what's that? Then four, five, and six are a repeat of one, two, and three. Okay. Now, at the end of the third year, which agriculturally is actually Pesach of the fourth year, okay, these things stretch out a long time. We're going to talk about three years, we know what we have to say. Um, uh, so, by Pesach of the fourth year, a person needs to make sure you didn't have to do this every single year, I meaning you had a mitzvah to do it every single year. But you know, today travel is easy. We think, oh, jump in the car, we'll go here, blah, blah. What happens when travel is not easy? What happens when things are harder to do? So you had three years, the money, the, the, the meister, all the monies and the things had to be separated immediately. But you didn't necessarily have to get it out of your house immediately. You had the three years. Let's say, you know, you didn't make it to Jerusalem now, you didn't know that, whatever. So you really have a three-year grace period to take care of all these things. And at the end of the three years, meaning Pesach of year four, which is really the beginning, we already started a new calendar year four, but Pesach of year four, if you've done everything, you come to Jerusalem and you're going to make what's called Vidui Meiser, a confession for Meiser. Okay, who's going to read it for us? Go for it, Denise, go for it. Starting from verse 13. One second. Yeah, yeah. He, yes, go 12, go. When you finish tithing, go yeah. start from shade. Go. Okay. When First quote. Tithing all the tithes of your produce in the third year, the year of tithe, and you get, have given to the Levite, uh, to the apostolate, yeah. to the orphan, and to the widow, so that they may eat within your portals to their satisfaction. You shall declare before our God, I have divested, divested my estate of sacred material, and I have also presented it to the Levite, and also to the apostolate, and the orphan, and the widow. Total, uh, total, uh, totally according to your command that you commanded me. I did not transgress in your commandments, nor did I forget. I did not eat, it, eat of it when grieving, nor did I devour it when ritually defiled, nor did I make use of it for the dead. I pause, it. pause for a second. Use for it for the dead means I don't use any of the money to buy shrouds or burial or anything. Not that I, was de I wasn't dead and I ate it, because that would be a little bit impossible, but that you don't use it for anything. And also the the, where it says only, what does it say when I was in mourning? Um, the day that a person loses a first degree relative before they are buried, a person is considered an onen. They're considered in a state where they don't do any mitzvot because they're supposed to be preoccupied with burying their dead. And so therefore they're, they're what's, the, what's the opposite of, of obligated? You're absolved of doing any of the mitzvot. So that in that time period, I didn't eat it in the time when I'm not allowed to. I didn't handle it when I was impure. I didn't. And this is, remember, there's a lot of stuff to pay attention to. Okay. And um, I have heeded the voice of Adonai, my God. I fulfilled everything that you commanded me. You from your sacred residence. 
Peacefully uh, take your residence from the heavens and bless your people, Israel, the soil which you have given us. And you swore to our forefathers the land flowing with milk and Okay. Does this sound confessional to you? Does this sound like a confession? I did an awesome job. Didn't make any mistakes. Didn't mess up. I didn't forget anything. And yet, and yet, it's called Vidu Meiser. It's called a confession. There is a place um, that, that this is almost a prerequisite to confession. Okay. Um, before I expand on that for a second, I want to just say, when we talk about, by the way, land flowing of milk and honey, we're not talking about bees' honey, right? We're talking about the honey that comes from dates and figs. Not figs, sorry. The honey that comes from the dates. And the dates that they had in biblical times were, the Mishnah talks about how it would make other things wet with the honey in it. They were packed with, they were packed with honey and the olives that they had also were almost like, it wasn't like you had to work hard to squeeze the olives to get, to get olive, to get oil. It was like you touch it and it, it, it comes out. Like it's, it was, it, we're, we're dealing with different, different breeds of, of olives and dates, but we are talking about a date honey, not bees honey, which is an interesting thing. So I want to stop here for a second and then, uh, do it okay for time. Yeah. So we're going to stop here and then we're going to move on. How does this confession? How's this confession? I did an awesome job, didn't mess up, didn't do it. I, you know, all the things I wasn't supposed to, I did it all right. I did everything right. Somebody came to you and said, I did everything right. I aced everything. Would you consider that a confession? You're like, uh, no, you need to like be taken down a notch a little bit, right? <laughs> like chill a little. Um, and, and yet, and yet in, in Rav Soloveitchik talks about this and expands and it's also in Hasidic literature that this is a prerequisite for what's coming next. What's coming next on our calendar? Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. Now, Rosh Hashanah, we're also not going to do a whole lot of confessing. If you look at the Rosh Hashanah davening, there's not really confessing going on over there. Once you get to Yom Kippur, man, boom, make it up for everything. It was long, I did this, and I did this, and I did this wrong, and I did that wrong. So Rav Soledechik says, if we want our confession on Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur to be taken seriously, we have to understand our self-worth. And to understand our self-worth, is to be able to say, when I did it right, you're right. I don't, I'm not a loser. I'm not a schlamazel who never gets it right. I aced it. I got this perfect. I, I, I did this thing to the, every single, I did it. And if we're able in our own lives to look at the things that we do right and say, you know what? That was a good job. I did that well. That was not in a boastful way, but to be able to acknowledge we did something well. I am inherently a person who does things well. Okay, we mess up. Sometimes we mess up, it happens. So then when I come and I say, I'm sorry for what I messed up, it's coming from a place of value. I value myself and therefore I, I don't want to behave that way. I, I don't want to go to my lesser instincts. I'm capable of more. I can do more. I can do well. And therefore, when we come Roshani and Kepret Hashem and say, that I didn't do so well. It's coming from a place of somebody who knows their worth and who knows they are capable of doing. And then when we say we're sorry, then it's real. 
if we think we're just schmuckles and we say we're sorry, we don't really mean it. We don't really mean it. Whatever the make, nobody notices. Nobody pays attention to me. I'm the, you know, so I, I'm dirty. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I haven't acted. Be it nicely. Whatever. What's one more going to be? But if we understand that, no, 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 we are worthy and we have value and we are inherently righteous and good and holy. So then we can look at the things that we like, all right, so perfect that it's a, okay, we're going to have to tweak that one for next year or for tomorrow or whatever it's going to be. So, so that's, that's, you know, meaning we don't do, we don't do VD Meister today. We are in farmers. I've been learning in Mishnaya soon some of my own personal learning and all these things. And it's like stressing me out. Like it's like, mom, just because like you're reading about all these laws, these agricultural laws, doesn't mean that when Mashiach comes, you're going to have to become a farmer again. Like, don't worry. <laughs> we, we got that one covered. It's like not happening here. You don't have to worry about how am I going to remember to do all these things? Somebody's going to give you a stamp and say it's kosher and you're going to be fine. You know? So um, there, there's a lot. I can't there's- wait to do all these things. <sighs> Listen, there's certain things that I super am excited to do. And then some of the things are so, there's like so many details that I'm like, I don't know that I can handle this, but you know, I want to, I want to have your attitude, but I don't want to be a farmer. Okay, yeah. good. So then you, you could be a farmer and you could bring Trubus and Meisters and I'll be part of your cheering squad and say, woo, <laughs> here comes Vizcaya with her stuff. Let's do it, cheer on. Totally, but I'm gonna have real healing wounds. I'm not gonna have uh, birds and strings because uh, I don't know how that would work, right? I'm excited I'm excited for it to happen. I don't actually do it myself, but if you wanna do it, then I'm happy to, I'm happy to cheer you on. Um, so that's, so So we, again, we don't do it today. We don't do, we don't do Vidri Monster today, but, but Parsha's Kisavo is also always gonna come out around this time of year. It's always right before, it's also gonna, it's always gonna come out before Rosh Hashanah. It's always gonna come out not the week before Rosh Hashanah, right? Because the end of our Parsha, here's a spoiler in case you haven't looked, the end of our Parsha is terrible. Our, the end of our Parsha is, is terrible. It has curses and curses and curses if you don't listen to Hashem. Like 98, it's a lot. And there's very little like nice words in there. That is always gonna be, the Shabbos before, that's always going to be before Rosh Hashanah, but never the Shabbos right before Rosh Hashanah. Because we don't want to go into Rosh Hashanah and be super depressed. So it's like we're going to have another Shabbos as a buffer. So next week's Parsha is always, Nitzavim is always going to be the Shabbos before Rosh Hashanah. So that means this, this is always going to be two weeks before Rosh Hashanah. It's always going to be around this time of year. Um, and why, how did I get to the end of the Parsha? I forgot. We're gonna to get to the end of the part. We're, we're here, Sophis. I'm sorry. So the end of the so it's terrible. I want to say we're not gonna read the end of the partial together. It's actually, it's so 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 depressing. Um, generally, huh? You should read it. It's it, you know it's interesting. Generally speaking, the rabbi of the shul or the Torah reader gets the sixth aliyah, the sixth and seventh aliyah because they're terrible. They're terrible. So we don't want anybody called up and say, oh, I know, you got that oil. Oh, you, you know, you got that one coming. No, no, no. The, the, like the Torah reader or the rabbi always get that, re- that, that thing. And they read it very low and very fast. They, they just speed through it, okay? So I heard a story, and I don't remember who it was with, and I apologize. There was a, a Hasidic rabbi who, who, was, who went through the Holocaust, and in the years after the Holocaust, he used to stand near the Torah reader, and he's saying, hecher, hecher, read it louder. Go slower and go louder. And everybody's like, 
what's up with that? We know we go low and we go low and fast because Zoom turns. He's like, I want God to know we did all of that. Been there, done that. In case you think we still have to cover it, we've done that. If you are a student of Jewish history and you read the end of the parsha, literally, we've done all of it. It's, it's happened. All that stuff has happened to Jewish people. So we're not going to the end of the parsha. We're staying to like the front and the beginning where it's like, it makes my heart sing. The other stuff is like not so. One thing I will say from that part, which is called the Tochacha, Moshe says that why is this going to happen to you? It's such a powerful statement. It's in chapter 28, verse 47. He says, why does all this happen? Merab, 47. First chapter 28, verse 47. Why is this all going to happen to you? Seven, yeah. Moshe say, well, it's gonna, we're going to talk about it. He's going to talk about, if you listen to Hashem, this is going to happen. And if you don't listen to Hashem, this is going to happen. So we, we really, we paid for all of this. But why is Moshe saying this is going to happen, Mirab? It says Hashem will No, chapter 20, verse 47. Oh, 47. Sorry. Very not Yeah, that's still, you're still deep in the... Yeah, yeah. All right, since you did not serve Hashem, your God, with joy and good heartedness and total affluence. So why did Moshe say, why did it happen? Because you didn't serve Hashem with joy. Not that you didn't serve Hashem. You didn't do, do it with joy and good heartedness. You didn't. No stress, but. <laughs> no stress, but, but it's not enough to do mitzvahs like, check that one off my box here you know he, you know here's your stinking mitzvah like here's here's your shabbos you know like you know we have to actually dig for the joy whatever it is that we're doing it doesn't matter if you're doing one mitzvah a hundred mitzvahs it doesn't actually matter what you're doing how many you're doing i'm, I'm sure if you're god it probably does matter but i'm saying like on a real life level it doesn't matter what you're doing it matters how you're doing it can I do it with joy? Can I do it with passion? Can I do it with fire? It changes everything. It changes everything. <sighs> Who wants mistress like this? You know, like, yeah, like this. You had a question? I was thinking, like, I think about my rabbi at home. I have this kid telling me this so there's two right so there's two parts of it there's two parts of that i think that sometimes when we see truth in capital letters and lights and shining we're like give it to me give me the truth i want it all and they're like all of a sudden you like move so quickly and you wake up a year or two later and you're like whoa who is this person? I totally don't know who this person is. You like, you know, you've gone to the rapture. But what happens if you take it slowly and you like recognize yourself along the process? And as you do things, you're like, it doesn't mean we don't change. People who are living and growing should be changing. But it shouldn't be like, wake up one morning, you're like, whoa, who is that looking at me in the mirror? You know, it's... It shouldn't. We should be able to say, oh, I know where that came from. I can trace that. I can trace that progression. I know how that happened. Because if it's, if it's, that I think is where he's coming from. Like, if it's like, we're not saying it's not true. We're not saying it's not true. And we're not saying it's not beautiful. We need to go into it from a place 
of what? With intention. Sometimes, listen, sometimes we, we dreamt that we do crazy things, like first of all, but the place of, of doing it consciously and not just like, Phew, it means that we recognize ourselves with the pro along the process and the process sticks because or else we jump in, we jump out. You know, how many of us have, you know, changed what we want to be when we grow up 17 times in the last, you know, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, okay, that takes too much work and that I don't want to do really, like, that's not what our relationship with God should be. It's not a question of counting how many minutes we, we, we did. Maybe on some level it is, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem intuitive to me. It feels like if we're going to have a relationship with God, it should be one that we want to be involved in and that we want to be with each other. And, and yes, God has certain things that he would like us to do. So, you know, we're nice people. We're in a relationship. So, <laughs> so we do things. Yeah, we don't necessarily question why the person you're in a relationship with only likes chocolate ice cream, even though you think it's gross. Like, what, no? No, no, no. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm giving it as a random example. I'm just saying, I don't have to judge it. I don't have to judge why they like this kind of flowers and not those kind of flowers or no flowers at all. If this is, if I can make the person that I'm in a relationship with happy, why wouldn't I want to? And if we're in a relationship with Hashem and Hashem's like, you know, I really love when Neshamas keep Shabbos or eat kosher. So like, that's the place it should be coming from. Not like, oh my gosh, another mitzvah, right? That's not, that's not relationship building. And it's all about the relationship. Everything, you know, it's, we've been in exile for so many years. It's all about the relationship. The fact that any of us still today care about the relationship is, hello, hello back for all of us. Like, yes, it's an amazing thing that people want to have a relationship with God and that he wants to have a relationship with us. That after all we've gone through and, you know, we've maybe not been whatever and he, uh, you know, we each have complaints to each other. It's like, not, you know, let's be honest over here, right? It's not like it's been like this picnic of, uh, of but, we, but we still want to work on it and we still want to be part of it. And that's the important thing. That's the part that's, that, that's, that's awe-inspiring on so many levels that we still care enough to say, how do I do it the right way? What's the best thing that I could be doing now? And, and ended my rant for today, but that's, that's my rant. So yeah, and oh, because it comes from Simcha, but you got to do it. You got to do it nicely. You got to do it nicely. You can't say, I'm going to have another visit. I'm going to just do it. I'm going to be busy, 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 busy. Hello. Nicely. Do it with, you know, like you do it nicely. That's all. And end of my rant for today. Now. Yes. Um, okay. So now between that and that, we have, um, we have some more stuff going on. We have Moshe telling the people that um, uh, they should uh where are we over here the third aliyah hashem is commanding you to do all this blah 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 blah. okay hashem is choosing you as a nation you choose him as a god yada 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 very nice then um uh chapter 27 talks about when they go into the land of israel because remember moses is leaving the stage soon and he's telling he's giving their last instructions so he's telling them what's going to happen when they cross into the jordan with joshua Sorry, they cross into the land of Israel with Joshua. They're going to go through the Jordan River and he gives directions. They should take stones from the Jordan and they should write the Torah on it and they should set up monuments here and there and there and there. And then he says they're going to go into the land of Israel and you're going to go to these two mountains called Mount Grizin and Mount Avil. And he tells them exactly, you know, 
go on to half the tribes are going to be on one mountain, half the tribes are going to be on the other mountain. And he says, these are going to be on this mountain, and these are going to be the other. And then the Torah actually, it's interesting that, and in the middle of the valley between, the Levites are going to stand. So in the, you have Levites actually being told to be on a mountain. And where is it? Okay. It's chapter 27, verse 12. So these are the ones who are going to stand on Har Grizim. It's going to be Shimon, Levi, Hudi, Sacher, Yosef, and Benjamin. And here Levi is older or younger Levites, not Levites in actual service. You see where we are? Chapter 27, the fifth Aliyah, chapter 27, verse 12. And these are going to stand on the Klala, on the curse, on Har Evel, Reuben, God, Asher, Zul, and Naphtali. And then the, the Levites are going to be in the middle. And the Torah actually then is going to list a bunch of statements in the negative form. And all the commentaries say that what really happened when they got there was that they looked to Mount uh, Grisim and they said, blessed is the person who does X, Y, and Z. And everybody says, amen. And then they would turn to the other mountain and say, cursed is the person who does X, Y, and Z. And everybody would say, amen. And they would go back and forth for all of the seats. Now, the interesting question is like, so then why doesn't Torah talk about the brachas here? Doesn't it only, it, it's only given in the negative form. Uh, curse of the person who, who takes, you know, breaks the boundaries of their friends and who did all these things, right? But Rashi says, and all the commentators say that he actually, they, they actually did it in the positive and in the negative. And one of the things that I saw that I thought was very nice was blessing comes only in like when everything is monish lined up perfectly. Like when it's lined up perfectly, anytime it's not exactly, exactly perfect, that's already not blessing. So we talk about, the, in a way, the place of the curse or, well, it says, it says Aurora, it says curse. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use your, what do we do when it's not perfect? Do we give up? It's, it's the, the, the curse is the what is what we encounter very often in life when you're in like a little bubble of learning right or in a protected environment then whatever things are a sababa you can complain about the lunch you don't like this you whatever but like what happens when you leave a protected environment and and you meet the real world and it's really harsh and it's really not perfect and it feels to really you know bang us down so then we're saying god is there also God is here with us also. And it's and it's a flip. It's like a, a little flip from it being that situation to it being a blessed situation. We have to be able to understand that even in that space, because the Torah says, the Torah is only giving it in, in the cursed version. It's not giving it in the blessed version. And why is that? Because that's, the, that's what we encounter more. We see it more often. We don't see how everything, all the stars are lined up and everything's beautiful. And we see it sometimes. We do. And we hold on to those times because it inspires us for the times we don't see it. But that's not the reality that we see more so often. That was one comment that I saw about why Torah gives, uh, gives this, this, this in this form. And then chapter 28, take it or, take it or leave it. It's a, you, know, you don't have to buy my challenge if you don't want to. Um, uh, and then chapter 28 starts off. And when you listen to God's voice, to do all the mitzvahs, and it gives us beautiful, 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 beautiful blessings. Really, really beautiful blessings of God will put you on top, but you'll be on the top, and you'll have all the blessings. And when you listen to God, you'll be blessed in your city and blessed in your field. Read 
verse three, four, five. Read us a couple of blessings. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall you shall be the fruit of your mouth, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your the offspring of your cattle, and the herds of your flocks. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed are you in your coming, and blessed shall you be in your going. Keep going. Hashem shall cause your enemies who rise up against you to be struck down before you. One road will they go out toward you. And on seven roads, they shall flee before you. Right, picture that image, right? They're coming like this organized army and they get scared. They all run away and like, right, right, right. Hashem will command a blessing for you in your storehouses and for your under and your every undertaking. And he will bless you in the land that Hashem, your God, gives you. Hashem will confirm you for himself as a holy people as he swore to you. If you observe the commandments of Hashem, your God, and you go in his ways, then all the peoples of the earth will see that the name of Hashem is proclaimed over you, and they will revere you. Hashem shall give you a bountiful goodness in the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your animals, and the fruit of your ground, and the ground that Hashem swore to your forefathers to give you. Keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hashem shall open Hello. Just bless us. <laughs> okay. Hashem shall open for you his storehouses of, his storehouse of goodness, the heavens, to provide rain for your land in its time, and to bless all your handiwork. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. Hashem shall place you as the head and not as the tail. You shall only be above and you shall not be below. If you listen to the commandments of Hashem, your God, that I command you today to keep this performed, and you do not turn away from any of the words that I command you this day, right or left, to follow the goods of the gods of others, to worship them. That's but, it. And we're stopping. Oh. <laughs> we are not continuing. Um, um, Hashem promises amazing, amazing uh, blessings for us. It's interesting, and a lot of the comment commentators commentators talk about the fact that we got lots of physical blessings here where's the blessings of relationship where's mm -hmm. the conversation of spirituality where's the connection to hashem where is where are those promises we're giving cucumbers and tomatoes mm -hmm. and a healthy crop and good animals like we're not knocking it but it's kind of seems to be mm -hmm. that that uh you know and there's a lot of conversation about that because in general until you don't have you don't have those blessings of spirit. You don't have spirituality open open like that. You don't. And and a lot of the commentators talk about the idea that, and we know this because we know this of Torah, that it's on so many levels. It's multi-layered. Um, and so that the most basic layer that's open to everybody is the one that most people can appreciate. But if you were to look a little bit deeper, then you would see that it's also referring to spirituality and blessings of learning and Torah connection. That's going to be like an under layer. And so then, then kind of the reverse question then comes up of, okay, so what about the people who don't care about all those physical things and they only want the spiritual. So like, where does that first layer speak to them? How does that first layer affect them? Okay. You're right. It's go down a layer, go down two layers and you're going to like, you'll be set. Like you'll, you'll see it all. But what, where does that first layer kind of affect them. And this is going to segue for us back into the beginning of Bikurim. Because ultimately, ultimately, what God wants of us is to be people living in this world. And this world consists of lots of material things. It consists of food and drink and business and whatever we are, we're doctors, lawyers, we're, we're artists, we're writers, whatever it is that we are, God's like, I want to be in that space also. I don't only want to be in your 
you know, your meditation on a mountain and in your synagogue time. I want to be present in your cucumbers and tomatoes. I want to be, I want to be present in how you go to the shook and, and, and conduct business. I want to be present in your everyday life. I want to be there. So it's not just, so yes, we could say the blessings are only physical because that's what most people appreciate. And then the spiritual people will look deeper and they'll find it. But Hasidus says it, it's hafuch halafuch. It's, it's backwards and backwards. That doesn't make sense in English, but you know what I mean? Like, it's like, you know, a double somersault. The actual real blessing is in the physical. When we are connected spiritually, then our physical is also supposed to be affected. It's supposed to show up in our business and in our everything, all our daily, all our daily occurrences. Now I want to put a disclaimer. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that if things aren't so smooth for us, we're like, oh man, which mitzvah do I have to tighten up? This is like not working. I gotta like tighten those spiritual threads. I'm not saying that. That's not what I'm saying, but I am saying that there is a corollary. And it doesn't mean look, we want to look and say, you know, what is it going to tighten up? Fine. It's always a good thing to do. It's always, it's always, it's, it's, it's not a bad thing to do, but I'm not drawing that parallel. I'm saying that when we, when we really are connected, then just like we want to give to Hashem because we love Hashem, we want to give him everything. Then the same thing is true. Hashem wants to really give up. He, he wants to give us, he wants us to be successful and happy and healthy. He wants us to have all of these things and we have to just be open to receiving it. So I want to, go back to the beginning of the Quran for a second, because we're coming into the land. It started off, when you come into the land, you're going to bring the first fruits to Hashem. And I, I, Hasidus talks a lot about this. You know, Mistar's not yet a farmer. The rest, I don't want to be a farmer. And it's, and that's fine, right? But, but how does this happen in our day? How do we do this? How do we, how do we thank Hashem in our day? How do we say, and I, I want to, Hasidus talks about it and I want to like make highlight a little bit the first fruits. Not when I get around to it, I'm going to give God a donation. That's not what Bikurim is. Bikurim is the first fruits when the farmer who has weeded and plowed and prepared and blah, 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 all those things, right? He's done all that stuff and finally sees the first fruits. He says, he doesn't say, oh, yay, party in the house. He's like, oh, no, no, that's for God. And the same is true for us today. When we look at our lives and we say, what is the first? The first goes to God. And that's why we talk about, Hasidus talks about specifically the place of Moda'ani. You know that place that we're not quite awake. There's, we say Moda'ani, it's before we washed our hands. We haven't had our coffee. We haven't like woken up enough. Moda'ani says, the first, my first waking moments when I'm in that twilight zone between sleep and awake, and you think, well, that's the best I can do. No, it's not the best. But there's something super precious about that first space. That my first thought is, thank you, Hashem. Thank you for allowing me to have another day. Thank you for giving me, for trusting that I'm going to use the time well. And I want to make a plug, a more general plug for gratitude. Because it's so easy to say, well, of course it's like that. Of course it happens like that. What, what's the big deal? And I want to make a plug to be open to seeing goodness that's being done for us, to us, and that we should be the people to do it to other people. That that chain of gratitude is so important 
not just because, oh, it's so nice and whatever. It's vital to our, it's vital to breathe and the way we look at the world. When we look at the world in a place of appreciating, all of a sudden we see it over and over again. We see the goodness that's being done to us and for us over and over again. And it makes us better people. It makes us softer people. It makes us open to receiving the blessing because giving something to somebody else is a blessing. And when we are open to seeing those blessings, it changes everything. You don't look at, you don't look and say, oh, of course the bus came as I got to the bus stop. You're like, thank you, Hashem, for that synchronicity that I didn't have to stand at the bus stop in the rain and a cold and the heat or whatever. It like, oh, when all those pieces click together, it is in fact Hashem saying, hi, I got your back. And when we can look at it and say, thank you, Hashem, I appreciate that. Then we'll see it more often and he'll give it to us more often because we know that we like to be with people who are, we don't, we're not saying we ever, we don't need everybody to say, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you every single time. But you want people to notice when something's being done. You know, you, you, do you ever do something at, you know, at home? You're not, not, not one of your chores or even if you do one of your chores, you know, and nobody notices. You know, you cleaned up the whole living room and nobody noticed. You washed all the dishes. Nobody noticed. It's like, you're not doing it for the thank you, but could somebody notice that I did something? Well, we notice what Shen does for us. He's like, I got to give this, I got to give this girl more. I just got to give them more because they're just so sweet about it. And they're so, they're getting that that's what this is. It isn't just random. It isn't just, it's really very special. So I want to give us all a bracha. That today is Chayel. It's 12 days to Rosh Hashanah. And um, it's time to sort of like, you know, that last, you know, one of the things they talk about having Kitavo, having these curses over here at this place is that the year and any curses that are meant to be there should be over and the new year should all its blessings. And I want to give us all a bracha that this kitavo, we're coming into the land, whether we've been here for a while or we just got here, um, it should be for blessing. It should be, we should be blessed and we should be a source of blessing from by our behavior for other people. Our learning should be sweet. Our learning should make us better people. Our learning should make us nicer people. And we should, it should reflect in our everyday life, all that stuff, that the fact that we are blessed to come learn Torah in the Holy Land is not to be taken for granted. And so I want to give us all a bracha that we should be grateful for all of those blessings, that we should be grateful for the opportunity that we have to come and to learn, and we should be able to shower it forward to other people. Have an awesome rest of the day and a great week. Amen.